Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri and by now I hope you all know Laura McKillop. Firstly, we'd like to um, start tonight with thanking our sponsor of the Dog Talk Live Q&A session, Enduro, high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat for, uh, for sponsoring this live Q&A. Tonight we're lucky enough to be speaking with Jamie Sturrock, who will be picking what he thinks is the best question from our live viewers and they'll win a bag of Enduro Plus. Welcome, Jamie. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you're from and what you do? Yeah, g'day, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so Jamie Sturrock's my name. Uh, I am from Jalaka up in Queensland. Uh, what were the questions about me and my family? Yeah, so married for 10 years to Marnie, uh, a couple of young boys, six and or nearly six, we'll say five and eight years old, Jack and Toby. Uh, yeah, we work on a cattle property up here. Uh, my role is the commercial cattle manager for, uh, for the Nixon family. So yeah, it's a diversified business that uh, yeah, we breed cattle, Herefords, Angus, Black Baldies, and trade a few cattle. Uh, and yeah, I wear a few hats, I guess. We also breed Border Collies under the Craig Lee prefix, as well as, yeah, registered stock horses. Well, stock horse, quarter horse cross, but we register everything with ASH. So mm -hmm. yeah, we breed some dogs, train some dogs, same with the horses. Uh, and yeah, in recent years doing sort of yeah, plenty of dog schools in the winter months. Uh, what about what's easier to wrestle, mate, the boys or, or the steers? <laughs> oh, well, they're uh, getting to that age now, they're fairly lively, so no, they the, the kids keep me on my toes, that's for sure. No, fantastic, mate. And you mentioned, um, there about like your long association with horses, mate. Where, where did this begin? Yeah, so look, uh, the horses are, are more Marnie's specialty, I guess. Uh, I grew up with horses, interested in horses. Uh, my first couple of years out of school, uh, worked in a stock camp in the Kimberley in WA. So I guess that, that really ramped things up for me. Uh, you know, on a horse basically every day, we're either on a horse or in the yards on foot. So uh you know really enjoyed that side of things uh when marnie and i met you know that was a bit of a common theme and uh yeah i guess as life went on got busier uh and i and i guess my interest in specialty towards dogs grew i i phased out of the horses a little bit but um yeah look in a perfect world you know if we had our own place and chasing our own livestock you know there's nothing better than you know, good horse with a couple of good dogs and stock going well and whatever else. So maybe we you'd can. Rather, you'd rather sit on a horse than a bike? Oh, look, certainly. Yeah, yeah. But I guess just practicality of, of, you know, ag these days and particularly, I guess, the role that I have at the moment and, and also with the with the previous job I had sort of for five years. But, um, yeah, look, a lot of cell grazing, uh, separate properties. I uh, don't know exactly where I'll be every day and, yeah, quite often sort of throw six dogs in a cage in the ute with a four-wheeler on the back and, yeah, travel between properties and shift cattle and do things like that. So, you know, in the time I could catch my horse, I can have a paddock moved and be on the way to somewhere else. So, unfortunately, it's just, yeah, just practicality, really. I, I 
can feel your pain now with catching horses, man. I know sometimes <laughs> I try and catch my daughter's horse when we had her there and it takes me longer to catch the horse and then she'd ride for two minutes and let her go again. Well, yeah, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a pain, but... How do you find the horses and dogs, like, interact and overlap and stuff, training-wise and... Oh, look, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know if you guys researched me at all when you to, when you ask that question, but oh, we um, just winged it, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's the go. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I, in all honesty, I could, I probably have to give more credit to, to, um, to what I know about training and and concepts like pressure and release and things like that, to yeah. to the horsemanship guys and I do the dog guys. I think you know those those guys formalised it and started to teach it years before maybe some of the dog guys did but um look there's some differences there obviously one's a, a prey animal and one's a, a predator animal but um but yeah certainly those concepts like pressure and release and things like that uh yeah i i i've picked up a lot of stuff out, outside of uh sorry yeah from the from the horsemanship side of things i'm only i'm only an intermediate horseman but um certainly a keen learner and uh, yeah, Marnie and I have sat through a lot of clinics and you know DVDs and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, much to Marnie's disappointment, I'd often get a golden nugget there that I was pretty excited about and relating it to um, to my dog handling when uh, maybe I should be thinking about the horsemanship. Yeah, talking about your dog handling, mate. Um, how do your dogs make your life easier? And uh, like, how do you go about your day to day life with them? Yeah, look, so, you know, basically all of my adult career, uh, apart from those couple of years in the Kimberley when, you know, just too big a distance, too big a numbers, too much heat to run dogs that um, basically when I came back to Queensland to work, uh, yeah, look, got my first dog and, yeah, I, I've really never been without one since. So, you know, as, as most most dog people can probably relate to the journey that once you get one and then you get another and another and another and they get better and better well hopefully <laughs> that's uh, right but yeah no, look I've, I've never been without them since so yeah I've, I've had a few roles over my my career and yeah the dogs have you know really really become an asset to me and and uh you know the people that i work for that you know i, I know i can get get work done that I wouldn't be able to on my own otherwise and yeah it adds value to to myself and and also to the businesses that i that i work for and you spoke there about like you you know your dogs hopefully get, getting better and better and better do you think that's improvement on your breeding or your training that like influence that progression oh definitely both um you know i think i think you need to make some mistakes to to you know, learn how to train and, and handle livestock with dogs. Um, and, you know, the, the breeding thing. Sometimes, you know, anyone who's bred dogs for a while would probably agree that, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back at times. Um, you know, you can head up a bit of a avenue that takes a couple of years to work out. You maybe weren't headed in the right direction. So, uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's a two-way street, but you know, I think if you're putting a lot of effort and research into your training and, and doing the best, you know, trying to find the best genetics you can, well, hopefully you'll head in the right direction. And you put in a bit of a big effort on the weekend there, mate? Had a dog school? Yeah, had another dog school on the weekend. It was good. How, how'd you go? Yeah, no, it went really well. It was just based here at home. So um, those ones are always a little bit easier. No travel and look, our setups, we've only been living where we live for 14 months, but 
done a lot of hard work and got a great setup here for for training you know good good couple of sizes of yards and paddocks and just just good stock for beginners and things like that so um, obviously with yeah. the current COVID um situation that all queenslanders that were getting over there yeah for sure yeah so the last couple have been been all queenslanders we've got a couple of couple of venues down south that are keen to um to do something but yeah that's i don't think that's going to happen this year we'll um we'll pull up in november and yeah have the summer off and uh see what happens next year i guess what kind of facilities do you need um from people that may be interested in running a dog school down south yeah so it doesn't have to be flash um a couple of things that are sort of reasonably non-negotiable um it's, it's probably as much about good stock as it is about as about the setup uh look most most sheep and cattle yards have got got a yard that we can or a couple of yard sizes that we can use to train um probably the most important one is is i don't i don't like the word round yard but you know i, I sort of prefer a roundish yard if not square with the corners off just to get started um, something around 15 meters diameter or 15 by 15 across is pretty spot on and then yeah look most as i said most most stockyards in this country you can find you know the next size up like a 30 by 60 or 50 by 50 something like that that we can progress to so um yeah look it doesn't have to be flash uh yeah it's just that smaller yard ideally it's stock proof and preferably dog proof but Usually we can make do with a few panels or something like that. I'm looking out the window here and I see a round yard. Uh, we might have to, might be a bit of a wrestle for a young filly to break in here, but there's a round yard out here we could probably utilise sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the go. No, sort of keen to um, keen to get out and about a bit. I uh, When I started the sort of journey into doing a few dog schools, you know, I, I guess that, that grew organically. I didn't just wake up one day and decide I was going to, you know, take on the take on the world of dog dog schools and, and teaching. But, um, yeah, when I started, you know, it just became a bit of a thing. We had a good setup at home and there was a bit of demand there and it was something that, you know, I could knock off on Friday and have a dog school and be back to work on Monday without too much effort. But I didn't really intend to travel. But uh, as I said, new, new job, new role in the last sort of 18 months or so, which – yeah, I guess as the dog schools were getting more popular and, and uh, we had a bit of a crossroads in career choice that, um, yeah, we sort of opened to travelling a bit more and see where it takes us. Here's one, mate. We've obviously touched on your schools there and they say there's no way to um, to test yourself or to learn yourself like teaching. How, how's that influenced yeah. you know, yourself yeah. since you started teaching? Absolutely. It's, um, it's I, I guess, the teaching side of thing obviously there's there's a couple of things going on there it's not just about the dogs i you know i'm pretty confident you know with most dogs it's there's i think the people skills are probably a little bit more important than your dog skills um but yeah also you know that problem solving it's it's you know it, there's been some times there where you know a bit of problem solving happening and you've got to dig pretty deep and get pretty creative to try and you know help someone out and uh yeah, sometimes you just surprise yourself. You uh, you find little tricks and things that you didn't know you had, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's problem it's solving good. isn't isn't just maths for your homework, is it? Like no, problem solving is a life skill. A life skill. Absolutely, yeah. And you've mentioned there about um, you know you changing jobs over the last fourteen months. Has that changed your work pack at all, like your team of dogs? Ah, uh, look, 
That, that's a really good question, actually. I've had, I've had you three. You can't give me the bag of dog food, mate, but someone else should have asked that. You're, uh, you're in the running. Um, yeah, so it is an interesting question because I, I guess I've had three sort of main roles in my career where my dogs have been, you know, integral to that. So, you know, one was, one was in feedlotting and, and backgrounding, big numbers of cattle, fresh cattle, sale yard cattle, you know, vendor bred cattle. Uh, you know, th that was a different style of work to say the last couple of jobs I've had, which have been sort of more breeder oriented. So cows, calves, uh, and, and the drift into cell grazing the last, you know, sort of seven years been, uh, been cell grazing. So rotating cattle a lot, but, and cattle get sort of heavier and dull and, you know, a little bit harder to shift and a lot less likely to want to run and have to be kept together. So, um, yeah, so that, um, I, I guess the pack has evolved a little bit, maybe not changed all that much, but it's just a different style of work that they need to adapt to. Uh, early in in uh, in my career, had some good experience with sheep and goats. Uh, not big numbers of sheep, sort of 500 door per use and uh, up to about a 1,000 boar cross goats. Yep. So, um, you know, looking back, I was living the dream back then for a young fellow that was... Uh, yeah, pretty keen on dogs and stock work that to have sort of access to all those fresh cattle and, and go, as well as the sheep and goat work, that was fantastic. So I, I guess, you know, having that bit of a spread uh, has certainly helped, you know, I guess be able to look for the type of dog that, that I think I need. And, yeah, I, I probably wish I had a little bit more varied work than I do at the moment. It's sort of, you know, most of the year round we're just shifting breeders and, and a few dry cattle and, then we get some weaning and weaner breaking and that's all over and, and, and back to the cows and calves. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess to go back to your question, my pack probably has evolved a little bit since then. Yeah, no, that's cool, mate. That's, uh, I suppose it just gravitates that way too, not so much like uh, intentionally a lot of the time as well. For sure. <laughs> Is there something you found that like um, you want your dog to have in all three of those sort of roles or something you've seen carry through that you really like? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I'm on a, I'm on a pretty ambitious lifelong journey to, to breed, you know, the ultimate all-rounder. Uh, you know, it may never happen with, with a lack of, I, I guess, sheep work. I mean, if I headed down where you guys are and further south, you know, my, my dogs aren't going to, you know, impress anyone too much filling a shearing shed or, or whatever. I'm sure we could learn our job if if we headed that way and expanded my um, my skill set in that regard. But um, yeah, look, certainly looking for an all rounder. Uh, you know, so, and they do exist. I guess I was very lucky, really early in my journey with dogs, that to to jag a, a very very good dog that was a genuine all rounder. You know, he was just magic on. Who was that? Oh, a dog called Swan Spud. Yeah. Um, he, he wasn't my first dog, but he's, you know, one of the first handful. And uh, he just, yeah, look, he just set the benchmark and still to this day. But, um, you know, it didn't matter what I threw at him, whether it was feedlot work, you know, cutting out sick cattle, you know, cattle up and down laneways, mustering, you know, breaking in sale yard cattle, wieners, you know, just, you name it, he could do it. We, we trialled a lot. 
um, handful of three sheep trials, which we, you know, we could we could get them around the course and won a few ribbons, like minor ribbons, not not big opens or anything. But um, you know, you could get three merinos around a three sheep course and and very very good cattle trialing dog. Yeah, he just I, I was learning how to catalog trial and he was winning basically. So and um, yeah, no, he was he, he set the benchmark. So I get I guess the point of bringing that up is that. I was lucky to have that very early and, and I do know that good all-round dogs exist and, yeah, I guess to try and replicate a few more of him. He wasn't perfect, but, you know, I think, I think you yeah, know, I'd love to think I could do better. Here's one for you, mate. We, we spoke a bit earlier there about, um, or just before we come on live, about, you know, um, different schools that you've attended yourself. How much have you learned from influences of other people compared to what your dogs have taught you? Yeah, that's another good question, mate. You're first and second in the um in the dog feed, <laughs> Ronnie. <laughs> um, look, again, it's a bit of both. Uh, I, I think one thing that's unique about me, oh, well, maybe not that unique, but I, I sort of explain this at my dog schools that one of the reasons I think I'm sort of qualified to help people with their dogs is, is when I got going, I didn't have much of a mentor uh, close geographically. I had a few guys that... Yeah. That, um, that helped me out pretty early and, and got me going, which we may talk about later. But, you know, I didn't have that old three-sheep trialer down the road that kind of taught me everything I know or my, my dad wasn't in dogs or anything like that. So, um, so, so that was good in a couple of ways that I had to work a lot of stuff out myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it also, it really broadened my horizons to, to where I found... Uh, I guess, information. So the, the world's changed a lot even in 10 years. You know, there was bugger all on YouTube or I don't think Facebook yeah. existed when I got going, any of that sort of stuff. So, you know, I was I was getting DVDs and books and magazines from, you know, the UK, America, Canada, wherever, and, uh, and you know, spending a good good percentage of my uh, my wages back then, which wasn't much, and and you know, that was really good. So I guess there was a blend of, of that as well as just, you know, taking dogs down to a few sheep to train on and, and literally trying to work it out myself and then going to the paddock and trying to work out how I could how I could sort of put that into practice. And, yeah, didn't have anyone there to give me advice or tell, tell me I was right or wrong or whatever. I guess the stock kind of <laughs> – the stock and the dogs told me whether I was right or wrong or not. And, um, yeah, I think we're, we're a bit spoiled down here, you know, like up there, you know, Queensland is such a big state where New South Wales not being so big, you know, availability to trainers um, is probably a lot lot easier to get to, you know, like because you don't have to travel. You can travel three, four hours up the road. You don't have to be putting in like the massive days every weekend to be getting that far. We are probably, probably do take that for granted. Yeah, and I think, I think down there in, in sheep country, you know, working dogs have been a lot, lot more widely used for a lot longer than perhaps in the cattle game. I mean, they've certainly been going around for a long time, but I, I think it's only maybe the last, you know, 20 years or so that, that people are really starting to use herding dogs with cattle, you know, w widespread and successfully. Why do you think that is? Oh, look, my understanding, and this is going back before my time, but my understanding is, you know, the dogs were more sort of hit them up dogs back then, you know, biters or, yeah. or, you know, enforcers, something like that would be the best description. Whereas I guess as people started to drift into a few border collies and kelpies, 
you know, that were initially sheepdogs, I guess. They just started to find some lines that could hold stock together a bit better and, and um, you know, I guess maybe educate cattle a bit more. That's probably come a fair way in the last 20 years. There's, you know, stock handling schools and things like that these days and, you know, I think people are focusing a little bit more on it than maybe they did or, or probably particularly using dogs as it's a bit harder to find good qualified staff these days. There's a few things going on there, but... Yes. I suppose that's in any industry at the moment. It's hard to find good help, and that's, you, you've mentioned it there. That's obviously something that you guys struggle with up there as well, is getting the right people on the ground. Yeah, for sure. In, in agriculture, I think I, I feel very lucky that, you know, wherever life takes me, I think with my skill set, set and, you know, what I enjoy and, and what I've done, you know, I'll, I'll never struggle for employment, you know. No, no worries at all there and and you know as far as my my kids go a couple of young boys you know they, they I'll, I'll back them into you know any direction or career they want to go but yeah. I'll certainly in the next next 10 years I'll I'll skill them with what with what I know and you know agriculture is it's a fantastic industry to to live and work in and and you know if they've got some of these skills that are you know maybe not as common as what they used to be well you know there's always that to fall back on wherever they head. Yep. No, my nurse, Laura, keeps ducking to the left a bit here. Um, we've actually got a ton of people on tonight, but we have had a couple of people ask, she's a stack yeah. of people, but we've had a couple of people ask about um, putting um, questions up. So, Laura, do you just want to explain? Um, I just reached, uh, pressed a button that I didn't have clicked. And um, if you just refresh your page, you should see the... Um, the ability to ask a question down the bottom um, and, yeah, it should be good to go from now. Just a few technical difficulties as I'm trying to update the website and everything. Sometimes things unclick themselves and our I don't always phones are buzzing nuts over here and Marie's <laughs> over here answering all these questions for us and we're like, what's going on? So, we did have a question come through from Will Harvey. Um, Jamie, what are you looking for when you're picking pups, both from temperament and physical attributes? All right, so picking pups. So first thing I'll say is anyone who tells you they can they can pick a six weeker is uh, telling you fibs. This so, is something we've been talking about recently, having a couple of litters due ourselves, and um, yeah, so I'm actually interested to see, you know, your take on it. Yeah, no, I I tell people that uh, you know if they want to if they want to get buy a world beater off me, they they want to pick them at six weeks while we're on the same playing field. So, um, but no, that's a, a good question. Um, look, I I show my pups to sheep reasonably early. I think not as early as some. I I, I just I've over the years I've just picked this twelve week mark, three months. Uh, I feel like it's a really good mark. It's not so young that they can you know get hurt that easily and and have a bad experience. But it's also a little sweet spot where they're young and bold and and probably not a huge amount of self preservation. They're not scared or worried that. That it's just a good. It seems to be easier to start a three monther than it is to start a nine or a twelve monther, in my experience. So um, yeah, for me, I uh, I get them on cheap at twelve weeks and having very good success at about that age, getting most most pups at least signed on, in some description. Uh, look at first, I I just look for a, a good temperamented pup that's you know, pretty bold, friendly, happy, and then you know obviously when you expose them to it. A few sheep in a controlled environment. Uh, yeah, just look for keenness. Uh, you know, something just talk about over and over and over again at, at dog schools. 
that uh, we can't do anything without instinct, can't do anything without what I call addiction. So, um, you know, I just look for those pups that are really, really keen. And then I guess it's sort of a few months that um, that I start to select. I've found over a fair few years, somewhere around that six-month mark, you know, I, I keep a few siblings, might keep two or three or four out of a litter often, start them all and, and um, you know, I'm looking for, for genetic progress as well as something to fill my team. But I have found that, that somewhere around that six-month mark, it just almost overnight, you know, you can – you can put your pups on sheep last weekend and they all look pretty similar and then all of a sudden the next weekend you go, well, that's the one or, you know, those two are keepers and those two are genuine, you know, sell-on type dogs. And do you prefer a darker dog or a lighter dog as well, talking about the physical attributes there that Will mentioned? Yeah, righto. So, uh, yeah, that was sort of part eight of that question. Uh, as far as what things I look for, uh, just back to temperament and working ability, uh I, I do look for a bit of style and a bit of flash. I I I notice in the you know there's a few questions you guys sent through to me in, in advance. If there's anything lacking in my dogs, I I'd probably do lack a little bit of hold and cover. And and the reason being, for about ten years, I've sort of really been drawn towards the dogs that have a beautiful, strong, stylish sort of walk up. Yep. Uh, so I guess they just seem to be the dogs that suit cattle a little bit better. And as I mentioned, you know, often moving bigger numbers of breeders that have been sell grazed and pretty heavy to shift, um, they just seem to be better stock shifters. So I'm also also looking for that. Uh, physical attributes look lighter, darker. Look, I, I'm a sucker for a traditionally marked border collie, black and white, smooth coat. Um, you know, don't worry about ears or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, certainly prefer that darker traditional sort of markings um but in saying that if they're if they're good enough they're they're pretty enough i've got a nice little bitch at the moment called lego and she's compact and she's got a bit of coat on her and she's got a half a white face and she's tricolor and <laughs> yeah she was the only bitch in the litter obviously so i kept her and she's a ripper and yeah if they're good enough, go, mate. Is the boys name her how'd you guess that <laughs> oh, I just, just, oh, no. hey, well, most of my dogs are named after fairies. Lego's litter, I think we had had Thor, Hulk, Spider, Lego. <laughs> you, can, you can pick who named those. No, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm, uh, I normally find that I'm a sucker for a dark dog myself. Like, you know, if there's something darker in my litters, that, that's the pup that normally attracts me. So, it's amazing that, like, you know, you kind of always keep your eye on that kind of one or two in a litter, don't you, that just grab your eye. For sure. Yeah. That's cool. I had another good question there, but I forgot what it was because I've just read all these ones here, but I can't ask too many good ones, can I? Yeah, <laughs> real, mate. That, yeah, I can't see that, Laura. Do you want to ask that? Um, so we have another question from Dave Motley. Um, what's your opinion or secret to having a very well-trained dog to a high level that can also be very clever or use or useful work dog that needs little commands at work. Yeah, great question. Um, look, th this is something I'm really passionate about, and I bang on about it all the time at these dog schools. Is um, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. As soon as you do a few dog trials, and particularly when you get a bit competitive, or when I say competitive, I mean you know when you win a bit. People, um, people start to get the wrong idea about your dogs a little bit. So, uh, 
and and look, I'll just stay in the cattle dog trialing space because I'm I'm only a you know intermediate sheepdog trialer. Um, the best trial dogs I've ever had have been the best work dogs I've ever had. Um, you know, I don't say that lightly because it's not easy, but with with I guess selection and and a lot of effort, it can be done. So to try and stay on the question, I I train my dogs a lot, particularly these days, train them sort of, I, I guess as milestones where I, I try and tick boxes and then I sort of leave them alone for a while. And I'm, I'm still tweaking this a little bit, but to give a really good example, you know, there's, there's probably uh, some instinct stuff and some obedience that we get out of the road between sort of up to that six month mark. And then from six to 12 months, I kind of leave them alone a bit, try and cart them around on the four wheeler or take them fencing or I guess just bond with them a little bit. I will show them cattle in that time. But, uh, you know, it's only really from that sort of maybe 12, 18 months up to two-year-old that might start to train on them a bit. Um, I enjoy – it's – I don't hang my hat on the on – the, uh, two-year-old cattle futurities, but I've sort of got a couple, one or two in them every year. Almost for the the best reason about them is uh, they're almost an excuse or a bit of a date to train your dog. So I've, we've we've actually got our two-year-old futurity this weekend, and uh, you know I've got I've got one dog of mine and one one for another fella actually that I'm training for him. But um, sort of that eighteen months of two-year-old is a really good time to to sort of step the training up quite a bit to, to that sort of catalogue trialling level. And then, look, by the time that comes around, I'm so sick of training them, the dogs are sick of being trained, mm -hmm. and I just can't wait for anything more. And this is this is so current to what's happening at the moment, is uh, I just can't wait for anything more than just to leave those dogs alone, or, or particularly my dog. Um, can't wait just to take him mustering and let him be a dog for, for you know, at least over the summer. And then, uh, you know, he'll be a really good three-year-old dog next year because, you know, we can just step it up and not send. And that's when we might start to sort of do a bit of driving and, and really start to lengthen the outrun and, and um, you know, maybe start to shed a sheep or, or a little bit of stuff like that. So th that seems to be working well for me. And, and as I say, I've, I've done a lot of trial and error in my my, my journey with dogs and, and – uh, you know, I still haven't got it worked out. I've tried a bit of everything, leaving them alone for a couple of years. I've, I've tried training the living daylights out of them when they're young. But, yeah. but that, that sort of, you know, a few months on, a few months off, blended with good, real practical work seems to be seems to be working to, to, um, to remain competitive as well as having a genuine work dog that, that you can just shut up and leave alone for periods of time. Mate, I actually, I just remembered what I wanted to mention before. I actually wanted to commend you on something there because one thing you mentioned like early on in the question before was um, you said where you think your dogs were lacking. And I just want to commend you on that because not a lot of people would actually go, oh, you know what, I think my dogs lack here and this is what I'm trying to work on. Um, so, mate, yeah, I just thought that was pretty big and I just wanted to make a note of that. So, cool. And Sorry. There's a bit of that go on, isn't there? Particularly if oh, they've got prefix, they can do no wrong. Oh, let's be honest, mate. They're not all unicorns, are they? Like, you know, not every dog's perfect. Um, you know, you spoke about having um, Spud back there earlier about, you know, having an all-rounder dog. And like, if everyone's pretty true to themselves, those dogs aren't around all the time. So 
being able to say, you know, I think my dogs lack here and I can do something there. Well, it gives you something to improve on and something to look on all the time and, you know, something to breed for and train for to get better. I know yeah, that's just yeah, yeah. on it anyways. Definitely. And look, that's, that's probably part of the reason that, you know, when these dog schools started to sort of pop up and I was getting some good feedback that I decided to have a crack and do a few more that, um, I truly believe you can you can you can make a pretty half baked dog a fair bit better by by training it and helping position it in places where you can give it a hand and things like that. But um, you know, instead of just that journey to find the perfect dog, and when it turns out it's not perfect, it gets thrown on the scrap heap and you start again. That um, you know, if you keep doing that, you end up with no dogs. So yeah. uh, with a, if you can blend a bit of training and, and just help that dog be you know, as good as maybe genetics are going to allow it, well, you can make a pretty half-baked dog pretty useful by um, being able to position it a bit and maybe give it a hand if you need to. You know, and talking about that positioning and whatnot, like, this, well, let's be honest, there's that stigma out there that trial dogs aren't work dogs and work dogs aren't trial dogs. But I, I don't really agree with that all that much, you know. Like, some people might have a better handle on their dogs, but like you just mentioned there, like, you know, you, you like those dogs where you can take to a trial or at work. You know, what, what's your feeling on, on that and when those comments are thrown about a bit? Yeah, yeah, and that's probably a good follow-up. I, I might have got a bit sidetracked with that question, but, um, yeah, it, uh, you know, I, I guess there's stereotypes everywhere you look in the in the dog world. But, um, but no, look, it, it can be done. And, uh, you know, you, you have – and, and, again, I've, I've been guilty of taking it one way or the other. I've, I've had dogs I've left alone, and then at two-year-old I thought, thought right, better train you now and for two years he's been running his own show and then I decided I'm going to stop him and start to stop him and catalogue trial him and you know who do you blame but yourself when he's not that competitive and then I've had dogs you know you know probably got a couple here now that early in their career when when that big Tamworth futurity deal was about and there's whatever it was 15 grand to win it you know it was a, it was an aged event and and uh you know, probably my best dog at the moment, a dog called Seth. You know, I was training the hell out of that dog to win this 15 grand and he had the ability. He's a great little dog, but there just came a point not, not long before that event where I'd, I just had to had to back off and leave him alone. And and thank God I, I noticed that and uh, just let him be a dog and, and he's a much better dog for it. But there's just a few little kinks in him that every now and then he just looks for a bit of instruction, you know, which... Um, which maybe wouldn't have been there if I didn't didn't sort of pull his levers so much when he was a young dog. So it's all just a balancing act, and yeah, I guess we just it's a case of setting a benchmark for yourself, and you know why not? Why not? You know, go trolling with your work dogs and see how you go. We've got actually got a real good question here, Laura's about yeah. to ask. It ties in with, with that. So that one, this one's from um, Lucy. How young is too young to ask a dog to trial? Is it mental capacity something people is mental capacity something people need to consider when putting a young dog into the pressure situation of a dog trial? Oh look, absolutely. And and I'm I'm the first to admit I'm not the most competitive with my dogs really young. I mean I, I see guys in there and again I'll just stick to catalogue trialing because it's where where you know it's what I know. But uh, look there's people there 10, 12 monthers that are getting them around and going pretty well. But um, 
I just know for a fact that the best dogs I've ever had were sort of okay two-year-olds and really good three-year-olds. And you still got plenty of time with a dog that doesn't quite hit his straps to them. And, and when I say hit his straps, I'm, I'm talking about formal sort of trialling type stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, you can absolutely blow a dog up with with too young. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are mentally. We all sort of, you know, trying to catch an obstacle or trying to win a final or whatever at a dog trial. And every now and then you'll get a young dog there. But um, that's when, you know, things happen and, and um, yeah, can certainly be, be negative on a dog. I hope that right. answered that question. Yeah, you did, you did. And mm. can I make a suggestion there that anyone that does put too much pressure on a young dog, get yourself another dog because I'm massive for that where I'll get a young dog and I, it's like a new toy and I'll train and train and train. And, you know, I've, I've had those dogs, you know, winning little, little trials at, you know, 11, 12 months old, but then I just find that I, I kind of blow them up a bit, you know. So, but you get more dogs and you put time into more, a couple more dogs, you're not so much putting so much effort in that dog and blowing its head. I know, but that, that's I find for me, and I get a bit addictive when I start training. So I, I've got to yeah, like yeah. physically just go. All right, I've had enough, um, and these dogs have had enough. So I've, I start. I, I suppose in the last this year more than ever, I'm looking for those little things, and I go, no, this this dog's had enough, and I've, I've got to put it away. Yep. And the the other thing that's worth mentioning, and it's probably. On the other, that was a trialing specific question, but but works a bit the same too. I'm, I'm a little bit sport these days that I do breed my own dogs and I've got this production line of pretty handy youngsters coming through and, and a well-established work team that, um, you know, I do notice people, they've only got a handful of dogs, they've, you know, it's branding or weaning or whatever and, and they've got to get the, the stock in the yards and, you know, they just have to take those young 10, 12-month-old dogs and really rely on them. So, you know, I, I do live in the real world and, and there are times you probably take young dogs on jobs that, you know, if you had a couple of extra dogs, you might not. And sometimes it's a little bit of sink or swim. But, yeah, certainly competition-wise, I, I, I really don't see the hurry. A, a guy I really look up to, everyone would have heard of him, Aled Owen from Wales. He was interviewed by Paddy Fanning last year and uh, he said something that hit home with me about having this sort of sweet age range of of three till nine he sort of you know he just brings them through steady and i'm sure his two-year-olds are better than most of our bloody five-year-olds but um you know he talks about that three to nine sweet spot and then that's probably that sort of hit home with me that if your dogs are you know just get the basics on them at one and then bring them along at two and as far as having a, a really good work and trial dog if you if you wait till three i reckon I reckon he'll have a better dog at nine than if you you were trolling him when he was one. A lot of things that like that got drilled into me young was like um, you know at about four year old you know you, you kind of know where your dog's kind of sitting at and that's when they start to mature like mentally like really start to peak. So I suppose that kind of works in with what you're saying there. Mm. Here we go. So um, a question talking about um, working and dogs and everything. Um, for your job, we have a question here from Ethan Fremantle. When talking about adding to your worth through having your own dogs, how much do you feel it can benefit someone when applying for jobs? Yeah, look, absolutely. It's um, and it's, you know, I've had a really, really sort of interesting ride with my career. I I spent the first, well, not the first 
few years, but I was out and about for a little while. But I actually went home to, a fam to my family's business and, you know, for all intents and purposes back then, I thought I was going to be there happily ever after. And, and look, everything was still happily, but I, I left there on my own accord after 11 years. And, uh, yeah, I, I, my, the next job I had, it was a, it was a corporate uh, manager's job sort of sort of with a just a little little corporate uh, an investor sort of fella and he'd, he'd never really seen working dogs before but he sort of you know a bit of trust there and backed me to to sort of use them and slot them in and you know he only had to see him go once and he was happy that that there was a lot of value added there and you know happy to contribute to dog food and maybe the odd vet bill and things like that but uh but certainly i was there for five years and and with our recent sort of crossroads that we came to uh, when that when that company actually wound up, um, I, was, I was on the market and, uh, yeah, some, some really interesting avenues came up through dogs, I guess, and a little bit of reputation that, that you know, my dogs weren't too bad and, and uh, I guess that works both ways. So employers were sort of interested in, in you know, the team that came with me as well as for myself you know where i landed had a lot to do with being you know supportive of the dog so it kind of works both ways i you know i i i guarantee you that i'll never take a job or or you know i'll be working stock without them it just it just won't happen so i i get really disappointed when you know you see see really good adverts that read really well for a job and at the end it says no dogs and and i can absolutely understand why employers say that because there's plenty of plenty of wild operators out there and it's sometimes it's just easier to say no dogs than to employ a good person and realize their dogs are ferals yeah. but um but yeah no certainly you know to stay on track they're they're an asset to me and and i know for a fact they're an asset to the guys i work for currently and in the past and uh yeah i'll i'll never be without them and yeah i think it's a great thing uh, do, you, do you like a dog that has a bit of bite on cattle? And how, how I suppose, how do you employees or employers um, like, like, does that have an effect on, you know, from the employers because the way they're seeing their stock being handled? Yeah, for sure. Um, look, I, I just find it easy to say I, I play in the medium strength dog range. You know, I, I would probably get a phone call a week from someone that's looking for a, you know, rough, tough, hard-biting, you know, break-in, spoiled cows kind of dog. And that's fine. I understand why people want those. Um, I, I, you know, sort of don't really need the hitmen sort of, you know, hanger-type dogs, which, you know, horses for courses. There are guys that are dealing with sport cattle and things like that, and I'm absolutely all for it. But, yeah, my, my I guess because of what I'm trying to achieve with my dogs, um, you know, I do need something that's, that's you know willing to to take on that mental and physical challenge of fighting with you know an Angus cow with a calf. They're they're about as good as as good as they get. But I do want something that you know I can trial on a Saturday, be that cattle or sheep, and and they're not easy to find. So um, yeah, I, I just play in that medium strength range. As far as employment goes, I, I've never had had an issue with um, you know with with bosses or whatever being unhappy about how cattle are being treated you know you usually you know if, if my dogs are biting on the nose or whatever it's it's because the cattle are giving us a bit of bit of curry and usually they're happier to get them in line than than not so um you know i haven't knocked any of tom's stud cows around or anything like that so um 
so far, so good. Well, that's good to hear, mate. Um, Nick Hovey's asking, how long have you taken to develop your training program and are you still tweaking it or are you fairly firm on it now? Another good question. I like that one. Well, the short Nick answer like is... you like it. <laughs> What's that? Nick will like that you like it. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, no, that, that's good, yeah. So, look, the short answer is, look, I'll never, ever, ever be finished, you know, learning or tweaking or or whatever. And, you know, I, I, I disclose that at dog schools as well, that if I, if I work out something better or new, I'll be the first to teach it and first to admit that, you know, I used to do it this way and it worked okay, but I've found a, a way that's better. And, um, yeah, always learning. Um, the first part of that question, you know, how long did it take to develop it? You know, I, I, I don't really know how long I've been in dogs. It's probably it's probably 15 years, something like that. So I'm, I'm not an old man, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, long, long way to go. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm settling around a, a method that I'm pretty happy with now. I think, I think getting into a few dog schools and things like that, probably force isn't the word but I'll, I'll use it anyway you know it kind of forced me to structure it a little bit and i'll tell you what when you're teaching it to you know like it's hundreds of people now that you you know if if there's cracks there they'll be tested because you know we're dealing with kelpies and border collies and strong dogs and weak dogs and soft dogs and you know all sorts of stuff so i feel like it's it's getting getting pretty good yeah. I've got a question here from Chris Egan. I suppose that it ties in with that as well. It's um, what inspired you most to get to the stage you're at with your dogs, um, training and breeding, etc. Um, was it a special bond that you had with a dog at work or at home, uh, some competition success, or was it always something that would eventuate with who you are and how you like to do th like things done at work? Yeah, another yeah. really good question. They're all fire and play. So I, I tell you, I'll tell you where I think it started from. I just, I love working stock. I, I just, I really, really enjoy getting control of stock and, and when things are going really, really nice. And that, it, that ties in a little bit with, you know, what we were talking about with the horses earlier that, you know, honestly, there is nothing better than having a model livestock going really well, riding a nice horse, dogs are going well, it's peaceful, it's quiet. It's just, there's something really addictive about that. Um, you know, the dog thing for me, it, what was I, 19 or 20 when I came home from the Kimberley. So that's that's kind of when I got the first dog. And, oh, look, even as a kid teaching a dog to sit or shake hands was pretty cool. So there's, there's, <laughs> something, there's something there. Um, but tying that in with the stock work and, and the fact that it's just, you know, it's a work-related, it's not a hobby anymore, but, you know, it's just something that gives back seven days of the week that, whether it's, you know, training a, a youngster for a, you know, like a trial or, or something like that or, or just having a genuine team that you enjoy working livestock with to, you know, having the kids bond with a litter of pups after school, you know, there's... That's there's pretty cool to watch, isn't it? Yeah, there's, you know, there's just so much rewarding stuff there. I, I had a bit of success earlier in the year at the Queensland Champs with a maybe like a third generation dog of my breeding and and that was you know that was a real kicker as well you know to have not only my prefects but a couple of generations of dogs back there it um yeah all, all those little little things sort of add up 
Yeah, they're something like, you can be proud of. It, it's pretty obvious here, and I suppose anyone, how many have we got there, Laura? Anyone of our 61 listeners and watchers at the moment can see you're pretty passionate about this. Do you feel like you're going to work when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. That that was the corny punchline on the end of that description. <laughs> you know, when you're riding a good horse and your stock are going well and the dogs are going well and it's peaceful and you do it for free, but um Don't yeah. boss that. What's that? Don't boss that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, it's um, that's certainly a dream of mine. I mean, I'd love to love to be doing all of the above with with my own cattle and my own place, you know, on a Craigley horse with a couple of Craigley dogs, maybe the maybe the kids. Kids and Marnie, all out there as well. That'd be uh, that'd be the icing on the cake. Yeah. What do you do away from um, from dogs and horses? Geez, not a hell of a lot. Um, no, no, no water skiing or no. Look, I, know, I'm, really, I'm, a, or? I'm a I'm a tragic rugby union fan. What? I, um, yeah, that's like like league, but just not as good, right? Oh, mate, it's a game they play in heaven, apparently. But. Uh, no, look, I, I do, I, I love it. So I've always I've always done something my whole whole life, sport wise or things like that. I obviously don't play footy anymore, but um no, look, I've I've had a pretty tough ten years cheering for the Queensland Reds and the Wallabies. Yeah. But um but no, that's uh that's probably my uh my only other addiction outside of outside of you know, I've obviously my kids. Um yeah, spending a lot more time with them these days, and and uh, yeah, again tying in with footy. The both boys play rugby league under sixes and under eights. So that's the um, go, boys. I actually who, um, who's their junior club, mate? Give them a plug. The Miles Devils. Happy to give them a plug. So they've um, yeah, they've just uh, just finished their season. Actually, I, I missed How the last carnival of the year. Oh, mate, we they uh we don't have premierships we don't keep score because you know that that hurts people's feelings and things like that so uh there were no premiers or whatever but um but uh yeah no look they they both love it and um i actually i actually coached the under eights last year but uh with my job change and all these dog schools i just can't do the do the thursday or the saturday thing reliably anymore but um but no outside of that that's probably my um my only other weakness I can uh, I can relate to her hurting people's feelings there, mate. Sometimes when Laura and I work and she calls me names, and if I had feelings, <laughs> yeah, she could probably hurt them. So. Yeah. Um, mate, I'll stay on the subject here. Um, we got one here from uh, Lauren Vest. What are a few of your top training principles or mantras? Right, eh? That's a uh, that's an on the spot one. All right, I. I there's a couple of things that come to mind that that I think it all revolves around, and we maybe touched on this earlier uh, about some of the horsemanship stuff that helped me. But um, I'm going to say the the foundation and the centre of, of everything in in my dog training program, and also with stock handling, is um, is about making the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. So that's that's stolen straight out of horsemanship 101. Mm-hmm. So because dogs, you know, they're canine, we're human, they can't speak English, they, they don't instinctively know what is what is right or wrong or, or let's say desirable or undesirable. So for us, we need to build this line of communication that, that we can make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. And we, uh, we do that by pressure and release. So my... Yeah. Absolutely, you know, there's some some dog trainers that shy away from the old pressure release stuff, 
But if done properly, uh, you know, if you can apply some pressure to, to some of that undesirable stuff and, and release or reward the desirable stuff, it's mm. – um, if you can get a handle on that stuff, I reckon, you know, that, that just – having that explained well to me and starting to understand it through playing with a few young horses and, and you know, really sinking my teeth into that side of things with the dogs, that, that just took me ahead in leaps and bounds. Anything from stopping your dog to, to getting stock to move off your dog, widening your dog out, all that sort of stuff is just make the right thing easy, wrong thing difficult, and you do that through pressure and release. So on that note, Dave Motley's asks, um, with weakness, when to leave it alone and when to correct it? So weakness as in, I guess I can't get feedback from him, as in dog's weakness, do you think? Or, or I, yeah, with, I believe with so, yeah. weakness as in the way they work, perhaps? I'm going to go for the second one. I would understand that question. Well, let's go on it for like a mental weakness maybe. You know, like when, when do you think a dog, a young dog's had enough and, and mm. when do you leave it alone or when do you go, oh, should I put more, how do I correct it or should I leave it alone? Like how do you gauge that? Yeah, righto. So hopefully I'll give you an easy answer here or, or it's an easy way out for me. But um, I think if, if you bring dogs through a, a reasonably structured program when they're young and you kind of, you know, build from the foundations up and and – you're probably not putting them in situations that, that they maybe haven't seen, not, not seen before but kind of built up to, that you'll get a lot less of that. Um, yeah, I, I that that's kind of a bit of a cop-out really. You say, oh, I'll go back, train from the start and bring them through a, a formalised program or whatever. But but I, I'm, I'm really big on that. And I guess, look, if you, value, if you like the dog and you value it and you, you're in a sticky situation where it's not handling it mentally or, or whatever, well, yeah, maybe you do have to just leave it alone. If, if it's training, you leave it alone and try again tomorrow or, or, or go and work on something else for a little little bit. But uh, if it's a work situation, you know, maybe you've, maybe you've got to clip that dog up or put him on the bike or put him in the ute and just get it done yourself and try again another day. Mate, I'll, I'll that answer the question. Yeah, no, no, I actually just got something back from Dave and that, that was the avenue he wanted us to chase, so... Uh, you got onto that, mate. And we've got one here from uh, Will Harvey. Is uh, um, how are you keeping your pup training sheep fresh, especially if running lots of schools and, and training them? Like, how many are you using when you're training a pup as well? Oh, mate, this is my biggest frustration being a, <laughs> being a Queenslander in non sheep country and uh, and. Also being on a place or employed by, you know, I don't own the place. It's not a family place. I work for someone. So my employment package, we're allowed to run 10 horses and 30 ewes. And, you know, hopefully yeah, as right. a relationship builds, uh, you know, we'll, we'll flesh that out. But, um, look, I run 30 ewes and I've been on a bit of a journey over the years. Uh, you know, I thought, oh, right off, I'm going to run 30 ewes. They might as well be quality. And I had some pretty nice sort of white dorper ewes and I was putting on an Aussie white ram over them and I was proud of them because they were pretty and they looked good. But, you know, about two dog schools into a season, they hug your legs and they're heavy and, you know, they're just uh, – partic- they're great for dog schools but, you know, to the point where I'd, if we're working in a round yard, you know, like a 15 by 15 metre yard, I only put two in there because otherwise people are tripping over them and whatever else, which is fine for early in the piece. But as far as myself – you know, I've got these dogs that are a bit pushy and lack a little bit of cover. Well, you know, I, I can think I'm a bit of a hero at home 
you know, I can do anything with these bloody sheep. And, and then I go somewhere where they you know, some waspy merinos or, or, you know, whatever, just normal sheep really, that, that my dogs run a bit tight and a bit pushy and they upset the stock. So, uh, look, back to the question, I, I need to keep more sheep. It's my biggest frustration. Um, I've found a good little avenue where, um, where I can sort of have sheep for a couple of months and, and I've got all these, you know, budding dog trainers coming through schools that are happy to buy six or eight, you know, quieter sheep off me and I can go and find some wilder ones somewhere else. But um, I've just got hold of a few Damaras recently and I just, they're, they're, I'm almost embarrassed to, um, to show them off to, to some people because they're a pretty wild-looking character. But, pretty ready-looking um, things. Yeah, look, I, I, I think they're the answer for me. So I got hold of some ewes yeah. and I've, I've actually got a ram sitting down in New South Wales that I've paid for and, and dying to get him home. But um, I think, I think Damaras are the answer. They just seem to stay fresher. They seem to really change direction off a dog at the slightest movement. So, um, yeah, that that's that's it's one of my biggest frustrations, and it, it is difficult. But hopefully, I can sort of fence up a little bit of country here, even if I pay adjustment or whatever. I'd love to run maybe more like a hundred or or a few more, and I'd say they're going to be Damaras. It's funny that you um, you mentioned that with Damaras. So I was actually going to ask you if there's a breed of sheep you like to train on there because. One of my mates hooked me up with a dozen merino weathers, and let's say these things, um, they've been, I can train pups on them, and then they'll really test my dogs out. Well, they'll, they'll change compared to my pups or my older dogs, where, where I found I had a few dorpers before, they just dogged down real quick on me. And like you said, they just want to hug your legs and take out your um, take out your knees. So, yeah, I found that really interesting like, with the Damaras. So, be like to see um, what you're saying another three, four months when you put the pups around them a few times. See, that's still the case. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's 30 or 40 sheep running around here and, you know, there's there's a dozen dozen Damaras and, you know, maybe 20 of the Aussie Whites. So I literally draft them before a dog school. No one's allowed to touch my Damaras. So <laughs> they, they, they don't go in the round yard. They um, they don't don't even go in the arena, really. They're just for myself to – because I, I one, of, one of my big goals is to sort of have this – this practical cattle dog that can handle sort of breeders and whatever else. But I'm really into the international style of trialling, you know, with the driving yeah. and shedding and singling and things like that. So, um, you know, that that's why, you know, you had belly on last week. I haven't, I haven't actually seen that. But, yeah, the Geary trial is such a good trial because um, they've got a bit of bit of everything down there, including it more of an international style trial so you know if i want to brush up for something like that well i've got these tomorrows that i keep a bit fresher and you know i can drive and shed and you know just got sheep that behave a bit more like sheep than than, than these other dog broke ones i've got what, what's the attraction to that um that uh, you just mentioned like the driving and the ids style of um of trialing there what, what's the attraction for you there oh look i i um i, I guess the um the diversity of skill in that um, in that job, uh, and I just see it for me with the type of dog I need for my day job. Uh, look, catalog trialling's fine. It's it's fairly fairly enclosed, doesn't have much distance. Um, I, I, let's say the fundamentals are pretty simple. I'm not saying it's simple because you know I've retired from plenty of catalog runs, uh, but. That ICS style of trialling would be the diversity and the skills, and I just think it suits me that I could I could have a very good dog if it was capable of say like a you know 
world trial or an international supreme course and can go and get you know a couple hundred black cows and cars in the yards that that's the style of dog that probably suits me whereas i'm i, I know for a fact i'm never going to give the three sheep guys any any big worries when i turn up to a three sheep trial i, I thoroughly enjoy it met some lovely people through the few that i've done um you know it's 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 a great feeling getting them in that pen at the end of a course but uh the style of dog i require i just it's it's that game's quite specialist and i meant to say that before with the question about you know these competitive trial and work dogs trialings even catalog trialing it's it's getting pretty specialist like there's guys that are just they are just absolute basically pros at it and I, i'd yeah. like to think i'm up there but it is a it is not easy to to mix it with those got those top level trialers with um with, you know with with a with a dog that sort of gets around big numbers and probably cheats on you a bit at times and things like that so but just back to the isds style trial it's another thing i'm very passionate about I went to the, we discussed this earlier, I think we we're offline, but uh, I went to the UK in 2011. Yep. And uh, I was a pretty young man, new in my, in my dog journey and uh, went straight up into Scotland, uh, you know, up in the back blocks of Scotland and, and watched the International Supreme and, uh, you know, had a grandstand ticket, just sit there and bloody cool. watch, watch the whole thing for three days. And, uh, yeah, that, that was awesome. Then we came down to... Uh, yeah, so we tracked about for about a week in between, just looked at dogs to anybody who would have us and show us their dogs and finished in England, uh, England or Wales, England, uh, for the World Sheepdog Trial, 2011 this was. So, you know, that was great. Three fields, plenty going on. You know, we could go and look at some of the famous guys' dogs and, you know, we could go and see who we wanted to see and then came down to the finals on the last day and, and um, pretty early in the morning, Kevin Evans, who a lot of people would have heard of, uh, he was first out in the final. And um, look, we just sat there in the little, little outdoor grandstand and, and, you know, really, really great view. You had a big double fetch final, whatever it was, 800 yards or 1,000 yards one way and whatever else. And Kevin's an absolute, even back then he was a master. And, you know, I just, I just sat there. That was like watching, I don't know, Wally Lewis play rugby league or, or something like that. It was just to me that just I thought, ah, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've heard it all. Got him. Um, <laughs> yeah. So look, uh, yeah, just watching, watching, you know, that from you know not that far away, you know, that fifty meters from the handler's post, and and just seeing the level of handling and and the distance and the you know the variety from from the driving to the you know. The you know hold a single sheep and put them in the pen. I Pretty just thought, talented, well, aren't they? If I can, you know, there's, there's apart from the you know the, it's a bit unique to Australia the you know the backing and the shed work uh, or the yard work. I, I, if you've got a dog that can sort of get around a say an international supreme course, you know can can buddy work a set of sheep yards and a shearing shed and go and get the cows and calves in. You know, what more could you want? Oh, 100%. Jeez, there's, um, there's, our viewers are keeping Laura busy tapping away on the computer here tonight, mate. And we've got one there, um, Jake Nalan, which actually ties in with what you just saying there, mate. How do you compare to Aussie handlers with the overseas handlers that you've spent time with? Um, look, definitely different. Um, you know, there, there's there's great handlers and, and dog guys wherever you look. Um, 
you know, I, I guess, uh, I, I guess I've, you know, most of my competitions been in the catalogue gig. I've really enjoyed these few, um, you know, like the the all round sort of events that had had one couple at Tamworth and. Um, you know, Geary is a good one. I really enjoy the the uh, those couple of events where I've got to meet a few more, say sheep, you know, yard dog trialers and yeah. and um, you know through the three sheep world and whatever. So, look, I I probably haven't rubbed shoulders with with many big name Australian handlers. I mean, look, bloody Jake's one, and we know each other well enough and compete against each other and and whatever. So, I probably have more. You know, yeah. There's probably a couple of guys overseas that I that I uh, you know look up to a little bit more than perhaps in Australia. But that that's not to say they're they're better handlers or better competitors. I guess they're just probably a little bit more famous in a in an avenue that I'd like to get better at. Um, you know, do I know some Australian stockmen that that you know really good with stock and dogs and horses and things like that for sure. But um, yeah, I. I'm probably dodging the question a little bit. Let, let's say different. There's, uh, some, right. there's some Aussie guys I, I look up to, um, but you know, if, if there's guys that that you know, let's be honest, I have a man crush on. There'd be Alid Owen, Kevin Evans, Ricky Hutchinson. You know, those guys. What they can do with dogs is just, you know, yeah. That's and you actually mentioned you're talking about your man crush. Mate, you something we touched on earlier, like. Who got you going? Like, like you're obviously passionate about this. Who, who, who got you going? Who drove this India? Yeah, so that's another good question. He deserves a bit of credit. He's, uh, he's a fellow called Isaac Hotz. He, um, really good mate of mine. We've been mates for a long time now. Um, we actually worked together the last four years uh, at Ospec Pastoral. I, I was manager, and he was my assistant manager, who I thought more of an equal than a than an understudy, but. Um, you can say you're an apprentice, mate. That's okay. Yeah, no, he'll uh, he'll me about that. But no, 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 worry. There's plenty of plenty of ways he made me look better, and and probably vice versa. But no, Hotsy, Hotsy for sure. Um, he uh, there, there's a bit of a funny story there. I, I uh, he's he's a mate, a mate of a mate, I guess, is how I met him. Through they were dad college together, and um, I, I actually was MC at his wedding, and I spoke about this. I I. I strongly disliked him when I first met him. But uh, anyway, we've become very, very, very good mates since. But, but no, look, he anyone who knows Hotsy, he was – look, he was getting, running around to catalogue trials when he was 18 years old, you know, and everyone else was 70 years old. And, and you know, we were all playing footy into our 30s and, you know, he was he was buddy dog trialing. And, yeah, he's dog mad and, and you know, great stockman and – just a really good practical bloke and and yeah, you know, icing on the cake, things like he he introduced, you know, he lined up for me to pick up Spud as a nine week old pub, you know, things like that. So um no, he he'd be the standout for me that just got me interested, got me going, you know, got got me into catalogue trialing, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, he's him and I are similar age. I might even be a year older than him and you know, I've beaten him plenty of times, and he beats me a few times. And and uh, but but yeah, no, I'll I'll never forget that he he's without doubt the one that 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 got me bloody hooked because that's that's what it is. I'm hooked. 
That's a pretty good story to tell too, especially like that you didn't like him to start with. That's even better. Well, mate, I'm I'm friendly. I like everybody, but gee, <laughs> he just he rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> Under your skin. <laughs> so where do you believe dog talk spot in our community is and how we can help our members? Yeah, look, uh, so full disclosure before I answer that one, I, I jumped on Dog Talk this week just to um to suss it out. I, I've I've seen it on Facebook and whatever, but this time of year is just crazy for us, and um, and uh, yeah, I had a bit of a sticky beak, and and um, look, it's great. I uh, to ask what I think its role is. I, I think it's probably smart to maybe you know maybe get it off social media or, or Facebook in particular. That you know, Facebook is what do they call it? Rented land or whatever. You you um you know, you do, old Zuckerberg can do anything at the drop of a hat, and he seems to be a bit. Bit um bit anti like anything animal. Like so, to make um, his own rules with that. Yeah, for sure. So look, I think it's a good idea to get it, get it, um, get it, you know, off social media and, and somewhere that that you know. I guess we can stick to the if you're going to come over and have a bit of a bit of a you know crack at a, a discussion or a forum or whatever on dog talk. Well, you know that that probably you know it probably takes the um the part timers out of it a little bit more in the sense that it's easy for someone to, you know, jump on a on a discussion thread when they're on Facebook and, you know, typical keyboard warrior stuff just, you know, unload. And and uh, whereas, you know, if you're going to go the effort to log in and sign up to Dog Talk, you're probably probably a little bit more constructive than some of the people that blow in and blow out. and, and um, That's what we like to think, mate. Yeah, I'd imagine it's probably going to keep it a little bit cleaner and a bit more constructive. Um, I, I've certainly observed <laughs> some pretty interesting threads on Facebook and things like that. That you know, as a rule, I've generally stayed out of for that reason. But um, no, look, good on you guys for what you're doing, and um, and yeah, I, I think could be good. Thank you. It, it is going a bit slow, so we do encourage people to jump on and put their two bobs worth in. Um, we're all we're all learning from each other, I guess, and that's how we keep growing as a country and a community. Yeah, for sure. Anything you'd like to see added to, to our website, mate, or what we do? Oh, I, uh, I read this as a pre-question. I, I did have some Don't feedback. Don't be afraid to hurt feelings, mate. What's that? Don't be afraid to hurt my feelings. No, no, I, I actually did have something on, bugger if I can remember what it was, mate. It's bloody nearly nine thirty. I'd, I'd be I'd be in bed, nearly ready for work by now. <laughs> no, look, honestly, I, I probably can't give you any constructive cons criticism at this point. But um, if something comes up, I'd, I'll definitely um, give you my two cents. No, before we start wrapping up on some of these questions, mate, well, um, got one here from um, Christian Richards, mate. What's the best way do, do you recommend to get into dog trolling? Dog trolling, yeah. So. Um, Oh, I'd prefer to stick with catalog trolling because it's bloody, uh, it's what I know. But look, I tell people all the time, don't think that dog trolling is this, you know, big unreachable elitist bloody level of handling. I, I think, I, I can't speak for, you know, you guys maybe yard trolling or, or sheepdog trolling or whatever, but, you know, particularly catalog trolling, you would only have to turn up on Saturday morning and watch the first 20 runs and see enough that you'd think, well, you know, I couldn't go, I couldn't do anything that hasn't happened already or, you know, I couldn't go badly enough 
you know, than what I've seen already. So that, that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Um, look, you need to have a handle on your dog. Um, you know, get to a school, get to, get to, you know, get on the internet, educate yourself, put some effort into your dogs. But, you know, if you've got a dog that's doing a job for you at home and, and you know, you've got a level of some level of control on it, get along and have a go. Meet some people. I, over the couple of disciplines that I've had a crack at, I, um, I've certainly, you know, found a common thread that people are bloody friendly, like they're happy to have a yarn and give advice and, hundred percent, mate. Like you're spot on. Like, I don't know how many. There's been a heap of trials that I've gone to and haven't got around with a dog, whether it be a young dog or an older dog that just get a bit unlucky on the day or whatever it may be. Probably not good enough on the day, but mate, if you're not out there having a crack, how are you going to get any better at it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's cool, mate. If there's one person you'd like to see us um, interview on the Q and A, who would that be? Well, I, I'm going to give you two. I'll give you an overseas one, which might be a bit bit ambitious harder to get hold of and then I'll it's give you a Aussie that might be easy but yeah look Aled Owen from Wales that would be that would be my he's an overseas man but um that'd be my definite number one and uh someone might be a bit easy to get hold of would be uh Hotsy Isaac Hotz there you go put it out to him <laughs> he'd probably he'd probably hate me for dobbing him in but um <laughs> no, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great fellow and Good stockman and and just look, oh man! If he if look, for a young man, if he hasn't seen it in dogs, like you get something peculiar or weird or whatever, he'll he'll have seen it. Guarantee it. He he's a bloody encyclopedia. That bloke. That <laughs> that's awesome, mate. And we're not going to rob too much. We're just looking at the time there, mate. And we know that you normally are in bed, and you got a couple of young young fellows there. So we we will start to wrap this up, mate. And we apologise to any questions we didn't get to tonight because. There were a stack there, but we we're just trying to file from as best we can. But, um, um, so from the questions we did have, um, which one did you think was the best? Oh, the best. Oh, and you can't say me. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't do that anyway, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not that I'll have, I have trouble deciding. I, I have trouble bloody remembering. I've just been talking for two hours and uh, there was some – can you remember – any of the have you got them written in front of you? Any of the ones you asked me, or you're probably sifting through a big long list. There's I a do. I do recall saying a couple of times, "Geez, that's a bloody good question." Oh, you there said, a couple said that. Of ones. If you yeah. can give a sort of rough idea, I can read them back to you. I uh, I've the one about the the suitability of sheep um, was a good one because it hits home so much for me. It's it's my absolute biggest frustration with with the with the keeping fresh. Fresh sheep thing. I, I, I'd be happy to give it there if, if um, I reckon that'll do because yeah, okay. just, you would not believe how many hours I've spent trying to work out how I can keep <laughs> fresher sheep to keep my dogs a little bit, uh, what's the word, just just crisper. Just, just, yeah, just, yeah, just on edge, just that bit. No, no, I, I guarantee you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do a dog school down on the New South Wales Victorian border one day. And I'm gonna, they're gonna give me some bloody half wool blind merinos or something. Just <laughs> look crap. Why does it have to be on the border, mate? You can just come down here and we can do it here. I'll give you some of those any day. Oh, that, that, that'll, um, that'll do. But you, you obviously get it. There you go. Heard it here first. You obviously get it. open. Let's get something sorted next year. Anyway, you, <laughs> you obviously get that and all that. So let's, let's, Let's go with that one. Congratulations, Will Harvey, mate. You want oh, to get it? It wasn't Will Harvey. 
what else have we got? You I know, Will. He's a good fella. Is it that? We'll get in contact with us, Will, mate. Just shoot us um, your messages, your details there on the um, Dog the Talk Facebook page. Facebook page or send us an email on um, laura at dogtalk.com and um, we'll organise that uh, dog food for you there. So thanks to Enduro for that. Um, I'd, 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 I'd also like to thank the guys who did ask questions because um, that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's sort of humbling that there's people watching, let alone bloody asking questions. Mate, we've got someone here who says, mate, you need to get yourself some black su blackface suffix. <laughs> yeah, right. Eh? Oh, look, I'd, I'd give anything a go. Look, if, you know, if, if life, you know, it's it's a funny thing. Life life gets bloody busy, especially when you've got a family and that. But, um, yeah, look, yeah. If, if there's one thing missing from, from my journey with dogs is probably getting down and, and genuinely working some bigger numbers of sheep. I, um, I, I would, uh, maybe there's someone out there listening that might want a bit of bloody... Bit of bit of labour in return for a hand at I don't know shearing or mustering or I might dog myself into something I don't want to do here. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I love I love stock work and I love broadening my horizons with dogs and I do love a challenge. But yeah, that's that's probably one thing that that I do lack is that that bit of genuine big big number sheep work. Fantastic, mate. We've actually got some real good engagement here today too. So we'd like to thank our viewers mm. for staying on board here and the great questions as we're. Mate, we've been pretty consistent there. I think we're at, we're over that 75-odd people there now, so um, the, the audience has just grown over the night. So thanks to our viewers because without having you guys here, well, there's no use doing these Q&As. So, you know, let's get on board every week and keep your questions coming. But uh, I know my favourite part of the week, mate, is about to come up now. So, Laura, you got something you'd like to say here? Well, first of all, we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. We do really appreciate you. Um, I have one more question before we go. If you had to choose between fighting 20 ducks the size of horses or one horse the size of a duck, I've got that round the wrong way. 20, 20 ducks the size of horses or one horse the size of a duck, what one would you prefer and why? <laughs> yeah, hell of a question. I can't help but wonder if it's a trick question. So right. let, me, let me get this right. One horse the size of a duck. Mm -hmm. or 20 ducks the size of horses. Yes. That's easy. I'll take the one horse the size of a duck. <laughs> I'm with you every day of the week. <laughs> well, that'd make a pretty good pillow, the feathers coming off that thing. Anyway. Yeah, right. So that's not a trick question. That's just no. a... Yeah, right just just, just oh, interested to how everybody well. answers it. Yeah, right. Yeah, Laura yeah. asked me that one day, and I don't think of it. I think that's the closest I've got to answering it. So... <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm happy with that, that option. <laughs> that never happens, but anyway. No, well, mate, Jamie, thanks once again, mate, for your time tonight. Um, and, yeah, if everyone could just uh, please remember the day that we um, we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for each of us. So, Jamie, on that note, thank you very much, mate, and uh, have a good night. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been good. Thank you. It's still with us.